Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 221, and it is titled, Win Your Partner's Heart with Relational Intelligence with Adam Mandeli. Okay, so relational intelligence, I'm not going to explain what that is yet because we're going to let our guest do that. You may be thinking, oh, I already know what that is because I'm familiar with emotional intelligence, but we're going to talk about that and how those two are different and yet how they relate to each other at the same time. And really, I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Now, I know sometimes our listeners are like, Oh, yeah, more stuff on how to relate, you know, with my partner. Okay. <laughs> First of all, y'all need it. <laughs> so, <I do. laughs> second of all, this goes so much further than just your intimate partner. Now, of course, because this show is primarily about sex, love, and relationship, we're probably going to focus on that the most. But know that what you're going to learn in this episode can really apply to any relationship you have. That means with your employees, with your boss, with your friends. You know, uh, These are skills really that you can employ day in and day out in every interaction you have with another human being. So it is well worth <coughs> you tuning in, staying tuned in and listening to this because these are life skills. This is shit they should have taught you in school and didn't. Yeah. That's and right. also Adam has a really fascinating story and he's going to get raw and vulnerable on the show. So you might really want to stay around for that. <laughs> so before we get into this, let's give a big shout out to our sponsors, Power and Mastery. If you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed, then check out Power and Mastery at powerandmastery.com. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men. Whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills, there is something for you at powerandmastery.com. So make sure you check it out. All right. Well, let's welcome our guest. We have Dr. Adam C. Bandelli. He's a visionary founder and managing director of Bandelli & Associates. He has 20 years of leadership advisory consulting experience working with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and senior executives. He is the author of the books Relational Intelligence, The Five Essential Skills You Need to Build Life-Changing Relationships, and What Every Leader Needs, The Ten Universal and Indisputable Competencies of Leadership Effectiveness which have received strong reviews from prominent business leaders. You know, what's interesting is, is I read the bio after I started reading the book, and I was like, oh, his second book sounds cool too, so I think I might have to get that one and read it as well. <laughs> anyway, let's welcome Adam to the show. How are you guys? Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So you're this big guy. You have all these like PhD thing, and yet... You had a rough start in life, like you had a unique journey. You went through some addictions, mental health challenges. I mean, can yeah. you share with us what that journey was and how it has influenced your current work? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me, it's it's, it's really interesting. The, the journey around doing relational intelligence and being a leadership advisor 
really started to take place around the same time that I started to go through my early adolescence into young adulthood and be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 22 when I was in graduate school working on my PhD. And so I was studying and starting to begin my dissertation on relational intelligence. And I had my first depressive episode while I was in graduate school. Um, for me, I'm a type A, I've been an athlete since I was young, basketball, high school and college. And so for one day not to have energy and to not be able to get out of bed and all the things that brought joy to my life for that not to be there over a period of four, six, eight weeks, it was really scary. Um, I had some friends and some family that recommended that I go see a therapist, which I went for a couple of sessions, but didn't really see much help from it. Um, and within two or three months, I was back to normal. But then I started to engage in a lot of manic behaviors, excessive spending, staying up late, sleeping two hours a night, those type of things. And before I knew it, about three or four months later, I had another depressive episode where I was suicidal. And so I was diagnosed at 22 with bipolar disorder. And at the time, I was shocked. It was something that didn't make sense to me. I outright rejected the diagnosis. I said, you know, how could a doctoral student getting his PhD in psychology have a psychological disorder? Um, <laughs> I lived in denial for over a decade about that, um, which led to a substance abuse addiction. It led to me ruining my marriage. I got divorced as a result of it. So all those things in the personal journey, um, you know, really taught me things like humility. It taught me about the value of relationships and developing trust and some of the skills we'll probably get into. Um, but what I do now and the work that we do at my firm, you know, our, my focus is on helping leaders, you know, bring their authentic selves to what they do with their people and teams. But it applies to their personal lives with their marriage and with their kids and with their friends. And so, you know, this is a calling for me, the work that we do now. And the leaders that I work with, the people that we consult to, um, I think they get the benefit of having all this life experience that I went through. I look at the decade where I worked on my PhD. I learned more about humanity and more about empathy from people that I was in rehab with than I did in my PhD program. So it was a, quite a journey to be doing both those things simultaneously um, mm -hmm. to get to the point where I'm at today. Well, and that's kind of why we wanted to lead with that, because... You know, a lot of times when somebody looks at somebody like yourself and your credentials and your background and they go, oh, okay, great. You know, he's studied a lot and he's got a lot of yeah. book knowledge, yeah. but does he really know what it's like to be in my shoes, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's yeah. why I think it's so important to bring this up because because of that experience, you know what it's like to be on the other end. This isn't just like, well, I did a research paper and the results right. of our thing said blah, 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 right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. I used to work in the tech world all the time. And, and we used to say there's, I don't want to call out any company names, but there's one that starts with an M that's really big. And we used to say it's the, there's the M way and then there's reality, right? Because what they used to tell you how it worked and how it actually worked were never the same thing, right? And so I think it's really important that we have real world experience. And I really appreciate you sharing that with the audience because, you know, sometimes, again, people in your position, they want to say, I'm this big professional and blah, blah, blah. And you're just being real and letting people know, hey, look, you know, I went through a lot of the same things that you guys went through, and it has really shaped the experience and how I approach the work that I do. So that's really fantastic. There are two yeah, things I, I wanted to come back to. Number one, you talked about being in denial, and mm -hmm. then you talked about some of the coping ways, I guess, because you were in denial. Because, you know, this is something that a lot of people go through. I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but I just wanted to uh, maybe see, like, did you take something? What did you do and how did you get yourself out of it? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, we talk about one of the skills in the book is establishing rapport. Um, there's the section in the book we talk about bedside manner with physicians. The psychiatrist who diagnosed me really was very aggressive and abrasive and within three minutes gave me a diagnosis. And so the how that he delivered that message is what really made me say, no, it was just a nervous breakdown. He's wrong. He doesn't really know me. How can you know my whole personality in three minutes? Um, and, you know, the denial phase, you know, people who are not on meds and not in therapy, there's the highs and lows extremes of bipolar. And so for a couple of years, it was extreme positive behavior. I was running marathons, working out three, four hours a day. Then I got in with the wrong crowd and started using cocaine. And again, extreme behavior went down that road. So for me, people talk about hitting rock bottom. You know, rock bottom wasn't when I was on the floor of my apartment with a 210 heart rate where I almost died. Rock bottom wasn't when I lost my job at the time because of it. And rock bottom wasn't when my wife divorced me at the time. Rock bottom for me was sitting in a rehab facility and deciding to make a change with my life. That's what rock bottom is, where you make a change and you commit to it. And so, you know, I knew then that I was going to, I could have lost my life. You know, I, I shouldn't be here right now. I should have had a heart attack that night on the floor of my apartment. And so to me, that was a turning point where I said, okay, I, I'm not going to let my life fall apart like this. I was giving a second chance and I'm going to make sure I make the most of it. I, I love that point you just made about what rock bottom really is, mm -hmm. because I have heard a lot of people, a lot of people say, I've hit rock bottom. Yeah. However, most of those people don't also say, I finally decided to do something about it. Most yeah. of them just say, well, I can't go any lower than this. I don't know. I don't know. If you yeah. haven't made that decision yet, I think maybe you could, right? You know? So I think that's an important point uh, to reiterate to the audience that, you know, rock bottom is really when you finally said enough, enough. is enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So something that I love is you talked about rapport. Yeah. And one of the things that we see a big with addiction and in the work we do is that for most people, it's a lack of connection. And I think mm, yeah. that's what kind of where it kind of leads with rapport. So maybe, maybe we should start with the overview of what is relational yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Let's so. let's dive right into what is relational intelligence. Like, just give the audience that to start mm -hmm. with, sort of the fifty thousand foot view of what is it really and what is it comprised of. Yeah, absolutely. So we define relational intelligence as the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long lasting relationships. And so that's kind of the definition, the framework. It's separate from emotional intelligence, which most people define as the ability to use your emotions, the emotions of others, and how to manage emotions effectively. So a lot of the research that we've done over the last decade is how are these two things different? You know, they sound very similar. Um, I started my journey in my undergraduate being fascinated with EQ. I picked up Daniel Goleman's book in 1995, and that really led me on this journey to get to relational intelligence. How it evolved and became that was when we were doing research on EQ or emotional intelligence, that can be used for good or bad purposes. So leaders or managers, they can use emotions to inspire, to motivate, to drive people to perform, but they can also use emotions to intimidate people and to drive fear. And you think about narcissistic leaders or Machiavellian leaders who use people as means to an end. So if EQ at that time, we thought if that could be used for both positive or negative, is there a set of skills or behaviors that leaders could practice to really build strong, long-lasting relationships? And so from that, we came up with the framework I did my dissertation on it, and then we've been practicing these five skills and the coaching and the consulting work that we've done with the firm over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, and I, 
Uh, obviously, we're going to dive a little bit more into those five skills, but I want to come back to the difference between emotional intelligence uh, and the relational intelligence. And having read at least part of your book, I haven't had a chance to finish it yet, but the, the feeling that I got was that emotional intelligence was one piece of the larger relational intelligence, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so like, yeah. if I were going to describe it to somebody, that's, that's how I would do it, which is that like, yeah, because we're not trying to compare the two and say, well, one is not as good as the other. But mm-hmm. what I really got from it was EQ is like one skill. It's, one, right. it's one piece, right? Yeah. But, but there are other skills also yeah. that are necessary and that you've taken those additional skills and put them together more in this framework that you're calling relational intelligence. So what we say to our clients is this is a blueprint for how to build relationships. These are skills that you can learn and develop over time. But you're absolutely right, Kevin. EQ, we'll talk about in a little bit. It falls under one of the five skills because you have to understand your emotions and other people's emotions if you're going to build relationships. But to your point, that's one piece of the puzzle. So what are those five skills? Yeah, and how those skills show up in the stages of a relationship? Of a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So the first skill is establishing rapport. And this is the ability to use energy to create an initial positive connection with another person. So when we look at the dating or romantic relationship phase, this is on the first date, making good eye contact with your partner, leaning in, using nonverbal language and body language to communicate your interest. It's about making a good first impression, how you dress, how you carry yourself, do you hold your shoulders back? Things like finding common ground. Can you identify similarities with someone? So establishing rapport is really that first skill to build a connection with another person. Um, If you do that successfully, you move into the second skill, which is understanding others. And this is the ability to be intentional about putting in the time and effort needed to get to know someone on a deep level. All right, hold on. Let's take these one at a time here. (laughs) Because you just rattled off a list of things that people should be doing on a first date. So everybody who's listening, (laughs) when you get to the end, go back to this part, right? Because he just gave you the playbook. He literally just gave you the playbook on a first date. Establishing rapport is absolutely huge if you want any relationship to start off well. Now, of course, you can establish rapport and start off well and then crash and burn later on. That's where (laughs) the other skills come in. But but to start with, you've got to establish that rapport. Yeah. So I'm not uh, I'm not a Ph.D. in psychology or anything like that, but I am certified in NLP, neurolinguistic programming. And one of the biggest things they teach you in NLP is establishing rapport. It is step number one. It's always step number one. And it, I think it is overlooked a lot of the time. And I think the big piece is people think it just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. They don't have to put intention. When we think about relational intelligence, there was three words I can give you that encapsulate all five skills. It's intentionality, vulnerability, and authenticity. And so when you're establishing rapport with someone, the energy and the excitement that you bring to those first conversations, we've all been in rooms with people where they suck the energy out of a room because they were negative or not positive. And we've all been around people that make us jump up and get excited. And so your ability to use energy and how you first meet someone, that's what determines how quickly you can get the relationship off to a good start. Yeah, I mean, that that is huge. I, I really hope that the people who are in the dating world listening really understood what you just said. And if not, you're going to go buy the relational intelligence book anyway, and you're going to learn more. Okay. So let's go on to skill number two then. 
Yep. Skill number two. So I mentioned skill number two is understanding others. And this is the ability to be intentional about putting in the time and effort needed to get to know someone on a deep level. This is where EQ comes in because you have to understand your emotions and your partner's emotions and how to manage frustration and anger and different types of things to make the relationship work. But understanding others goes beyond EQ. It's about being a good active listener. So when you're dating or when you're meeting someone, or even in a marriage when you're a partner, are you really listening to understand what they're saying? Or are you listening just to speak back your response to them? So active listening plays a role. Being curious and inquisitive. Great relational intelligent people. They ask questions. They ask probing follow-up questions. So they have a general curiosity and wanting to learn about their partner. And in the dating you know, world, that's critical. You know, most men, in my experience and the clients that we work with, men love to talk about themselves and their accomplishments, the things that they do great. Well, if a man goes on a date with a woman and he asks more about her and wants to learn her story and where the things are important to her, there's more likely or not he's going to have a second date because he showed interest in her rather than just trying to impress her with what he's done. We, we literally just heard this from a friend of ours recently where she's just started dating this man. He's very successful. And on the first couple of dates, literally all he did was talk about himself. And, and, yeah. and her response was, he doesn't know anything about me. That's, that's literally what she said. He doesn't know anything about me. I know all about his life. I know about his family, his parents, everything. She's like, I know nothing. He knows nothing about me. So yeah, yeah that's exactly, exactly yeah. the experience that a lot of women have. And I yeah. want to make sure that this is a skill you need to keep, not just in the dating world, in your relationship. We women need to be heard. Yeah, yeah. well, of, of course. But, and you know... <laughs> Like, I get it from a certain perspective, guys want to impress the women, right? So, well, please impress us, but give us a space where we can just talk about, it just helps us to be able to talk for a little bit. Yeah. And I would argue you can impress a woman more by asking her questions and getting to hear her share her stories and her background. The, the ability that really differentiates relationally intelligent people from those who aren't around understanding others is the ability to show empathy. And so can you listen to someone and put yourself in their shoes? That's the best way to impress a man or a woman or anyone that you're interacting with. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was exactly the point I was going to make, which is that, you know, guys think that they're impressing the women by talking about all their achievements and all the yeah. things. Look at but, the muscles. But there's, there, there's a line. There's, <laughs> there's a point of diminishing return, right? Like some of that is she's like, Ooh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. He's a good provider. Oh, well, that's interesting. And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, enough already, <laughs> enough already. Uh, can you please ask me something about me? Right. And it starts actually negatively impacting the yeah. interaction at a certain point. And for sure. I mean, everybody wants people to ask questions about them and be interested in who they are. Yeah. Yeah. So intentionality and being genuine about it. Like mm -hmm. you're not just asking questions because you feel like you have to, but because you really want to learn about your partner. Here's my list. That's right. Well, this is a good point to bring up, too, because now if we kind of loop back in the EQ, one of the things you mentioned earlier was that EQ can be used for both positive and negative. Right. And so uh, being able to understand somebody and their emotions, you can use that because, oh, great. Now I know how to relate with them. Or it can be, oh, great. Now I know how to manipulate them. And so when we're talking about active listening, it's important also that you're listening because you genuinely want to get to know somebody, not because you're trying to figure out how to push the right buttons to get them in bed or whatever it yeah. is your yeah. goals are. Yeah. yeah, that's spot on, Kevin. And I think, you know, what differentiates people who use EQ for positive or negative with a relationally intelligent person is the genuineness and the authenticity. 
people can usually get fooled for a short period of time by someone who's manipulative, but manipulative people professionally or personally, they don't succeed in the long run. They may get a short-term goal, like getting a woman to sleep with them or getting a promotion, but eventually people will see through that. And so authenticity is such an important piece. And that leads into the third skill, Mm -hmm. which is embracing individual differences. And this is the ability to be authentic in acknowledging and accepting that everyone comes from different backgrounds and experiences. And so in the dating world, that's really being able to go beyond just the surface level understanding someone and understand about their background, their race, their ethnicity, the cultural experiences they had growing up. It's about showing more than just the golden rule. It's about common decency. You know, are you building into the relationship and creating an environment where you're partner can be vulnerable with you where they can communicate their deepest backgrounds and experiences and things. If, if you're not showing up authentic or if you're being fake, it makes it very hard for someone to open up to you. I love how so many of these skills are like the, the phrase you just used was common decency, right? <laughs> and I just love that a lot of these skills are kind of bringing us back to those sort of, if dare I say, old school values, Right. Like common decency is one of those old school values. And in a world where practically everything we are exposed to is fake, the news is fake, the TV shows are fake, the movies are fake, the politicians are fake, right? Like the food is fake. Like everything is fake. It's so nice to to talk about skills and things that are real, showing up yeah. and being your genuine self, genuinely paying yeah. attention to somebody, having some yeah. common decency, right? Like these are yeah. things that are so lacking in the world right now. So it's so important that, that these yeah. skills be put out there. Yeah. And then the big thing with embracing individual differences is if you create the conditions through which you and your partner can bring that authenticity to the table, what it does is it brings diversity of thought. So you can have a disagreement with your partner and still both have opinions that matter and have been heard, but you just disagree on whatever the outcome or thing you're moving towards. But it also impacts the people that you surround yourself with, other couples that you spend time with, things that you do together. It starts to build as you move from dating into long-term relationship then to marriage. It builds that cadence around what you're growing and doing together. Yeah. And that really jumps into the second, the fourth skill, which is developing trust. And this is the ability to be vulnerable and risk being exposed to the actions and behaviors of another person. And so you look, it's scary. a big one. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> and for a lot of people, it is because vulnerability is hard. Um, we see this a lot more with some of the senior executive men that we work with and with women is it's hard to show weakness. It's hard mm-hmm. to show a flaw. Um, we all have them. And so, you know, a really strong person is first knowledgeable about themselves. In the book, I talk about know thyself, the mirror test. Before you're going to build trust with a man or a woman, you really have to understand yourself, whether that's going to therapy like I did when I was going through the things I did in my 20s, whether it's working with a life coach, an executive coach in the business setting. Are you looking under the hood and understanding your values and what's really important to you? Are you getting a sense of how you show up on your best days? Are you understanding what your blind spots are when you're stressed or when you're under pressure? And so to develop trust, you really have to know yourself first. If you do that, then you have to focus on, we call them the five C's. What are the underlying aspects of trust? So in a romantic relationship, in the dating world, in marriage, things like competence, you know, is your partner going to have the skills or things that they say they do in the early stages of a relationship? Do they have commitment? Are they going to honor their commitments to you, whether they be small or big? Are they consistent in how they show up? Can you trust that your partner will be there for you in good or bad times? Uh, Character. 
Do you trust that your partner has integrity and that they have a strong value system? And then courage. And I think great relationships, partners can tell the other partner what they need to hear, not what they want to hear in a way that's loving and supportive. So it takes courage to do that. So those five C's are the building blocks, if you were the Lego blocks in terms of how you develop trust. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the biggest things, because, you know, the work that we do in coaching relationships, trust yeah. is such a huge, huge piece. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I just don't think it can be, I don't think it can be stated enough how important that is because there's yeah. a lot of little things that people do in relationships that they don't realize are chipping away at that trust That's right. every day. That's right. Little behaviors, yeah. little things like the, yeah. the perfect uh, example is what you just said is you should be able to say what needs to be said, but do it in a compassionate way. Yep. Well, so there's some people who don't say what needs to be said, right? And the other person, no <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the people who do, but don't do it in a compassionate way. And both of those things will chip away at that trust, chip away at that yeah. trust. I can't, yeah. I can't trust her or him because, you know, they're yeah. not going to be compassionate about it. Or I can't trust that what they're telling me is true because I know they hold back and don't say what needs to be said, right? Yeah. All of those little things. And, and if you don't have a really strong uh, trust in your relationship, the chances of you being long-term successful are not real good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We talk in a lot of our seminars on relational intelligence, the idea of how, it's not what you're communicating to your partner, it's how you're doing it, how you're phrasing it, how you're communicating it. Um, the other big piece with trust that I think is different from the way other frameworks and kind of books look at it, we have this concept called intentional generosity. So people who develop trust are, we use the farming analogy, they consistently sow into the relationship without the expectation that they're going to get something back from their partner. So it's not a tit for tat. I love you. So I'm going to do these things because I want to demonstrate my love. And when that usually happens, both partners, if it is a healthy relationship, are sowing into the relationship in that way. And what it leads to is relational reciprocity. Both partners are intentionally giving to the relationship because they value the relationship and both partners are getting equal out of it because of what they're receiving from the other. It is one of the first emails we send out, give more than you take yeah, and you, as a relationship tip. You had a way of phrasing it too, Celine. I don't remember exactly, but you used to say something like, like both partners should be giving like the 60, 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're, bo- uh, you're, yeah. you're always giving more than you're, mm-hmm. than you're getting taking, back. Yeah. And if both partners are always doing that, then, mm-hmm. then yeah. you're on the right path. But yeah. it's to do it from the heart. Like That's Adam right. said, it's so important not to yeah. do it because you're trying to get something. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so we have absolutely. one more skill. Yeah, one more skill. The last skill, this is the most powerful skill. This is cultivating influence. And this is the ability to have a positive and meaningful impact on another person's life. And so when you look at romantic relationships and marriage, it's about the life that you're building together. It's about what you want that's best for your partner. It's usually the phase of the relationship where you challenge each other to grow and you help each other to pursue your dreams and goals. So people who cultivate influence, that can be a negative term in terms of like manipulating or using people. When we talk about it, it's about bringing the best out of your partner. And so someone who's relationally intelligent, they have a genuine desire to see their partner become the best version of whatever they want to be, and they help them to get there. Yeah, this is huge. You know, when thinking about it, I think that was one of the big things that was missing from my previous relationships until you and I got together. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, like you and I kind of uh, coined that term in our relationship, team us, you know, because we're always yeah. on the same yeah. team and we're always helping each other to succeed and be the best that we can be. And, 
And I feel like in, in pretty much every other relationship I ever had before that, it's not that they, they wanted me to fail or anything like that, but they were never really on board 100% to help. They were mostly on their own, you know, yeah. taking care of themselves. And they're like, oh, oh, you got to promote, oh, that's good for you, you know, but never like, <laughs> okay, how can we restructure, you know, what needs to happen at home so that you can take that extra class that you need in order to go for that promotion? Like I never had that level of cooperation. Mm-hmm. And it's when you have it, if you've never had it, first of all, then you finally have it. You're like, where has this been my whole life? <laughs> you, and then you never, you'll, you'll never go back. Really, you'll never, you'll never accept a relationship doesn't have it. that doesn't have it exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the whole piece about life changing relationships. Uh, a beautiful marriage is about each partner wanting to bring the best out of the other and really creating the conditions where that person can pursue their dreams and they can work as a team to manage the kids or manage other responsibilities so that both people can pursue whatever they want in their lives. Yeah. And I think, I think if more people saw it as a team, they might mm-hmm. be better at this. Cause you know, like yeah. basketball is, is a great example, right? Yeah. I mean, rarely is a team successful that has one guy that's really good who just takes the ball and drives it down the court every time and then scores, right? Like he may score a lot of points. He may be the league leader in scoring points, but his team generally doesn't win the championship, right? It's the teams that really work together. And if you look at great teams like the Chicago Bulls back in the day, you didn't have just Michael Jordan, right? (laughs) You had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you had... um, uh, uh, what was the other guy? Um, Dennis Rodman, right? So you ha- and all of them had a unique skill that they brought to that, and they used those together to help each other. And so I think if more people understood that, they might they might take that into the relationship more. In other words, you have to realize that when you choose to be in a committed relationship with somebody, yeah. right, you've now formed a team, That's and right. if that team's going to win the championship, you got to do everything you can to help every member of that team show up the best they can. Yeah, so you're mentioning basketball. They uh, just came out on Netflix, a documentary, uh, two-hour movie called The Redeem Team. This is about the Olympic basketball team. In 2004, we lost for the first time in like 40 years. And the following year, they got Coach K from Duke to become the coach. And they, Kobe Bryant joined the team. A bunch of players who were very individual kind of focused players, LeBron James, brought them together. And the documentary is about how they gelled as a team. And to your point, how did they bring the best out of each other to go back to the 2008 Olympics and win gold? But it's a fascinating way to look at how individuals come together, set aside their egos, really bond and create that chemistry as a team. Yeah, it's, it's really important. And I just, I don't think enough people in their personal relationships see it that way. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I don't think they do. I mean, <laughs> we run a business where we help with clients and companies and leaders do it. So they're having difficulties doing it. But I think a lot of people, at least in my experience, we kind of switch on to autopilot when we come home and we do our personal life. It's kind of, I need to get my promotion. Or I need to do good at work. Or I need to get this assignment completed. But when I come home, it's just, you know, my wife and I, or my kids and I, or whoever we miss, we're just going to kind of, you know, do the sports Kings that the kids have on the weekend, or there is no intentionality behind it. And I think that's the piece you have to continually be giving into your relationship for it to work. And that requires time. It requires effort. It requires energy. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I know because you know, I work with a lot of guys and I'll tell them things like this and like, I can see it in their face. Their reaction is, fuck, that sounds like a lot of work. 
It's not. Right? But, but, well, not only is it not necessarily, but even if it is a little bit of extra work, if you have to work at modifying your behavior a bit, you have to yeah. realize that the return is well worth the effort put in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break for our next sponsor, and then we've got some more questions, because now that we know what relational intelligence is, we got to talk about what, like, how can people get there if they're mm-hmm. not there. So that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about next. But first, are you a committed couple who is stuck in a rut and just going through the daily motions instead of connecting the way you used to? Are you tired of stale mechanical sex that lacks spontaneity and fun, and you don't want to live a life of average? Then we'd like to invite you to join our highly sex power couple platinum program. Give us 90 days and we'll help you bring the passion back between the sheets and be synced up sexually so that you can thrive with more purpose and passion in life. And a lot of the stuff we teach is stuff that we are talking about today. Mm-hmm. So if this sounds like you and you would like some help, go to selenremy.com forward slash passion. And that's where you can reach out to us and find out more about this program. That is selenremy.com forward slash passion. All right, Adam, what's the biggest mistake that people make trying to apply these skills? Let's start with what they do wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times the biggest thing is having a focus on self. I mean, everyone inherently has our own goals and our desires and things we're pursuing, whether it's our health, whether it's our careers. But I think people in relationships, people in business, they run into trouble when it's just about them. I think great relationally intelligent people are selfless. They see the bigger picture. They see that it's just more, the world doesn't revolve around them. And I think I look at my own life. That's the lesson that I had to learn through addiction and mental health. Because before that I was, you know, 25 year old kid making six figures, had a PhD. I idolized all these things that I had and I thought I was unstoppable. And then I was humbled where I lost my job, lost my marriage. Everything that I thought was important was taken away from me. So it taught me humility. And so I think personally and professionally, people who are humble, people who know that it doesn't just stop with them, those are the people who can at least step into the arena to practice these skills before anything else. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's huge in any relationship because, again, we're talking about team, right? <laughs> so it, <there's, laughs> I'm going to use the, the most tired old cliche, but there's no I in team, <laughs> right? And, 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 you know, people misunderstand that. They think, oh, well, great, I got to, like, completely give up myself. No, that's not what we're saying at all. But what yeah. we're saying is you just need to have a focus on the fact that there's somebody else or some other people, if you're talking about business, that the decisions you make and the way you show up affects those other people as well. I'm curious, Adam, do you see a difference between men and women in their ability to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think women are wired more from an early age to express how they're feeling, to express their emotions. Men are taught, don't show any weakness, don't cry. I remember, you know, role models and male figures when I was growing up, I grew up in a single family household. You know, don't cry, don't show tears, wipe them off your face. So I think from a very young age, men are taught to bottle in emotion and not show it. Mm -hmm. Men are taught not to show weakness, where women are more likely to share their emotions with other women and communicate and get it out there. And there's tons of research that show when you're able to express your emotions, things like, you know, psychosomatic issues, diseases in your body, those things, you're less likely to get those if you have a way to express the emotions. And then vulnerability. I think more women than men are able to be authentic and be themselves. And I think that is the undefined, underlocking key for relational intelligence is, are you comfortable in your own skin? 
And so those things apply to both men and women, but in the work that I've done over the last 20 years, many women senior executives that I work with, they're able to empathize with people quicker than men. They're able to be vulnerable and they bring their authentic selves to work. Very interesting. That's, that's what I expected. So I'm not surprised. I mean, just from... What about, here's another question revol- uh, revolving around the differences between men and women, but do, have you seen in your work that working collaboratively comes easier for women than men or not? I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't, I think it, it really goes more to how the leader's wired. I've worked with women who have been phenomenal leaders who build cultures of inclusion. I've worked with men who have done the same. I think it goes back to what I talked about around trust is you, before you can build a team or build a marriage or build anything, you really have to know yourself and you really have to do a deep dive on kind of what makes you tick. And when we do our work, we do something called the leadership experience interview, where we'll take clients through a two, three hour conversation where my only goal in the conversation as a psychologist is I want to know your origin story. I'm a big superhero fan. So I want to know Mm -hmm. Kevin's origin story and all the events that made you who you are today as a person, as a leader. And so you don't need to go to a organizational psychologist or executive coach to do that, you could take out a journal and just start reflecting on, you know, the first 10 years of my life, what are two or three things that really shaped me at that point in time? Was it a parent's divorce? What is, was it a, you know, sports team that I played on? How about the next 10 years, high school and college? So really reflecting on what's impacted you in your journey. And if you do that, it gives you a better sense of who you are today. You're more comfortable in your own skin. One of the oldest written commands, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> keeps, right. keeps coming back to that. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because it kind of led to our next question. But I think there's one point I want to make is you're only as strong as the foundation that you laid down for your relationship. Yeah. And so yeah. we want to bring it back to, to the dating. And we had this conversation with somebody here uh, where... If you want this relationship to last mm-hmm. and you expect to have integrity and honesty, it yeah. has to start from date one. Yes, absolutely. And it was hard for her to hear it because they haven't quite taken the jump into we're committed. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. still a multiple doors open, which is fine. Sure. But sure. it hasn't been discussed And that's the issue that I have. I have no problem with the multiple doors, but I think both partners should be very clear that the doors are open. And I think that if it's a relationship that somebody wants to have in the future that lasts, you have to build it from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about being genuine and authentic from from date one when you're establishing rapport. You know, are you genuinely showing up the way you want to show up that align with your values and beliefs? Are you genuinely wanting to get that, get to know that other person? Are you asking questions? I mean, you think about, you know, just from an establishing rapport standpoint, you know, do you genuinely show interest in the man or woman you're talking to? Uh, when you sit down for the first time, are you focusing more on you or more on her? Um, the body language, listening more than you speak. I mean, all these little things in the initial stages of a dating and a relationship, those do set the foundation for trust and authenticity and vulnerability later on. So, but what do you think is holding back? Is it they're afraid of rejection? Because if they had the conversation and say, yeah. hey, I'm keeping my doors open, and then the yeah. other person's like, uh, no, you know? Uh, what, what is preventing people from stepping right away into integrity? Because I don't I think, understand it, because I go right there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm the same way I mean, with our clients, the work that we do. I think fear is part of it. Absolutely. Fear is part of it. Fear of rejection. No one wants to put themselves out there and have someone not respond to that in a loving way. Mm-hmm. But then I look at where we are technology wise in 2022, where we have five or six dating apps at our fingertips. And there's that saying, the grass is always greener on the other side, but you're not cutting it. And so there may be other options out there that you're available, you have available to you. And that could make some people feel like I don't have to give my all to this. Mm. Uh, but again, I think that's a very selfish way to look at relationships. Yeah. Ooh, that, that is a really interesting point that you just brought up, which is how the technology and the online dating is changing how people show up in those dates. Yeah. Whereas yeah. without that technology, maybe dates were a little harder to come by. And so maybe people put more effort into them. That is really interesting. Just because you have a lot of opportunity doesn't mean you don't have to put in the effort and the energy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, we've talked about technology and how it's affecting uh, dating and relationships before, but I don't know if we ever hit that exact point yet. So that's really interesting. So... You mentioned, uh, going back to your origin stories and journaling, Yeah. is there something else like somebody now is realizing, okay, I want to develop these skills, but I'm mm. kind of lacking. Is that the first thing they should get started? Is there something else they could do? Yeah. So there's a number of different things. I think journaling is a great way to do it. Um, we're in the process right now of developing our relational intelligence test. So in January, you can let your listeners know they can go to our website, bandellianassociates.com, and you can take the relational intelligence test where you'll get an understanding of where you stand on all five skills, where you're stronger, where some opportunities are. And then you can use that in terms of going off and doing some readings, or if you did want to get an executive coach or a life coach, these things, developing trust, being authentic, cultivating influence, they're all skills you can learn and you can interact with. You can even do it with your partner. You know, two of you pick up the book, read it, take the assessment, discuss it together. Um, I've done that with, you know, people that we've worked with for years. And it's a really great way just to, again, self-awareness, acknowledging that there's something you want to work on and then putting an action plan in place to do it. And we do that personally and professionally with our clients all the time. Yeah. So, so until the test is up, read the book (laughs) (laughs) and then when the test is up, go take the test and then read the book (laughs) and do the work. Well, yeah, of course you got to do the work. (laughs) Okay. And you have to have someone to build a relationship with. That's the, you can't do these in a vacuum on your own. You have to have a good partner. True. But you know, I would say like, cause you know, this is a common question that that we get from people all the time when they reach out to us and they, they potentially want to work with us. They say, well, I'm not in a relationship right now. So is it really worth me working Mm -hmm. with you now? Or should I wait until I'm in a relationship? And my answer to that always is, don't wait until you're in a relationship and then you make a bunch of mistakes and you're trying to figure it out. Like now is the time to work on yourself so that you can show up to that relationship the best way that you can. And, and I would say that this is the same thing. Like, don't wait to try to learn these skills until, oh, I found somebody I'm interested in. Now I got to right. learn, right? Well, how long yeah. is that going to take you to learn? How many, you know, mistakes and, and, and missteps will there be along the way? Like, start working on it now because... Yes. The other thing is, is the more developed you become as an individual, 
the better quality people you attract. Exactly, the better quality people that you attract. That's exactly right. So well, and we all in relationships of some kind. So it, you don't need to have a romantic relationship. That's right. Just use right. any relationships that you currently have. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the focus of the book. The first half of the book, there's a chapter on each of the five skills, and the second half of the book is the applications of relational intelligence. So that's in your family relationships, it's in your friendships, it's in your professional relationships, and it's in dating and marriage. So that actually is the perfect uh, segue. So can you tell the listeners, one, how to find your book and, and two, how to find more about you? Like where can they, they want to be in your world. How do yeah, they find you? So the best way is our website. It's Bandelli and Associates, A-N-D, Associates.com. You'll find information there about the book. You'll find information there about myself, the firm, the work that we do. Um, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books. It's available in ebook as well. Also audio books, so plenty of places to get it. And then tell your listeners they can follow me at Adam Bandelli on Instagram, Adam Bandelli on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, we release new information about relational intelligence every couple of weeks. So we're actually, I just wrote yesterday a new article we'll be publishing on our website. Um, it's titled, When Trust is Damaged or Broken, Seven Things Relationally Intelligent People Do to Restore Trust in Their Relationships. So that's one that will be coming out in two weeks. And we just released an article on dating and romantic relationships called You Can Win Her Heart, Why Every Man Needs to Learn Relational Intelligence. So that one's on the website right now in our blogs. And this one about trust and how you fix broken trust will have up in about two weeks. Fantastic. See that free, uh, uh, great advice right there. You don't even have to buy the book to read those articles, but mm, right. we highly recommend that you do buy the book because you're going to learn a lot more. <laughs> and you know, like one of the things that I love about this interview with you, Adam, is that, you know, sometimes people come on and they're like, Hey, I wrote a book about these five skills, but I don't really want to talk about the five <laughs> skills too much because I want people to buy the book to to yeah. find out what the skills are, right? And I just love that you're just like, look, here, here's, here they are. Here's here's what they are, right? Because I think the intelligent listeners realize that okay, great, now I know what they are, but there's still so much more to learn about yeah. each yeah. one and so much yeah. more that you could practice. And so even if you if you tell them what all five are, it's still well worth reading the book. And yeah. even if you read the book, I mean great. Okay. I read the book. I understand it, but do I really know how to put it in practice? And that's where working with somebody who can really guide you step-by-step yeah. step through that yeah. process is super valuable. And it's a lifelong journey. I mean, I, I came up with the theory 20 years ago. I've been practicing it. We hate, I would never want to teach people or tell people to practice something that I don't walk the talk myself. And so, you know, understanding people, that's an ever evolving process, getting, getting more curious, showing more empathy that never stops. So if you could only give one piece of advice to our listeners regarding relational intelligence, what would it be? The one piece of advice that I would say is that if you want to build transformational relationships across all areas of your life, be intentional in how you build relationships and show up authentically with those that you care about the most. Yeah, Beautiful. huge. So this leads us to our very last question, Adam. What is your best sexual talent? Best sexual talent. Oh, is that, um, <laughs> we can we say foreplay? Can we say foreplay and sure. leave it at that? Yeah, absolutely. You can say anything you want. It's, it's your answer, you know? <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> well, that's a good answer. You know, there's a lot of women out there complaining that they don't get enough foreplay. So I think that's a, a good skill to have. <laughs> a skill that probably most women would say not enough men have. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we ask all of our guests that question because it's fun and it usually does catch most people off guard. And thank you yeah, for being uh, a good sport <laughs> and answering it. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that's fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I think that there was a lot of value in this episode and I really hope people uh, have listened to it, understood it, maybe go back, listen to it again, get the book. But this is really really valuable information for really how to live the best life that you mm-hmm. can live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure sitting down with both of you. Thank you, Adam. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have for this episode and we will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing. <laughs>